Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to this historic Sunday in the life of Mayflower Church. We're so happy you're here. All of you here in the sanctuary and all of our live stream friends, give them a little wave. We're so happy you're with us. So if you are on the aisle and you can find that friendship register, those of you in virtual land, there's an e-register. We'd love to know who's worshiping with us this morning. Following our worship service and our congregational meeting, you will not want to miss our bazaar in the atrium. We're fundraising for the renovations of our beloved parlor, and there are incredible baked goods and silent auction items and all kinds of goodies. And maybe you don't find something you really want to take home today, but guess what? You can still just make a donation. We would love to get over the top with our fundraising for that parlor and get uh, construction underway shortly. So please visit and um, see if there's something you like out there in the atrium after the congregational meeting. As you peruse your bulletin, please also note that registration has opened for our summer arts camp for kids uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. It's going to be an incredible week in June, so you want to make sure you get your kids signed up and tell your friends and neighbors. If you're visiting with us today, welcome. This is kind of an unusual day, but you're totally welcome to be with us, and we're thrilled you're here. Um, It's a bit unusual because we never have one of these up front. So (laughs) to tell us more about why we have a screen and some very exciting news about our pastoral candidate, Sean, I want to welcome Amy Conway, there she is, to tell us more about how things are going to go today. Good morning. I'm Amy Conway from the Pastoral Search Committee. Today is a big day, like Ruth said. Per Mayflower's bylaws, this is our third announcement for the congregational meeting to call Mayflower's next senior pastor. Today we'll hear a recorded sermon from our candidate, Dr. Sean, Reverend Dr. Sean Bawalski. He's still in China, hence the recorded version. After the service, we will have a congregational meeting and a vote. And we will share more about our process a little bit, and, and our uh, committee members will be up here. And for those of you joining online, you will have the opportunity to vote as well. Thank you. I'd now like to invite all the children worshiping with us to come forward. We are going to combine the call to worship and the children's message together today. So fun to see everyone. What a great day yesterday was. All right, friends. We have said today is a very special day. The name of our church is Mayflower Congregational Church. So today as a congregation, as a group, we get to vote on a new pastor. So we thought, what a better way to start this special service than to have you help us lead the call to worship. So we are going to do a call and response for the call to worship today. So I need four volunteers to hold sign. Stand up. Two. Three. And four. 
All right, everyone stand up. We are going to start here. We're going to go in order, though. So, all right, this is your guys' first line, what Julia has. You're going to sh- turn and look at the kids, Julia. This is the day. Okay, then this is the congregation's first line. This is the kids' second line. So you're going to turn and look at the kids. And that's the congregation's second line, and we're going to say amen together. So we'll see if this works. It worked on Easter with the back and forth. So we're going to try it one more time. All right, you guys, this is what we're going to say first. We're going to say, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. All right, friends, we are going to dismiss for Sunday school. All of the kids can be picked up down in the youth rooms directly following the congregational meeting today. I will take your posters if everyone wants to stand up. We are going to go to Sunday school. Let us pray together. Holy God, we give you this day as we anticipate a new season and a new leader. We seek your heart for our lives and for our church body. May we follow you with faith, trust, and hope for a bright and purposeful future. We love you. We praise you this morning. We give you all the glory. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
This morning's service, this morning's service is structured to focus on the introduction to Sean and his sermon on the prodigal son. In anticipation of our offering, please know that your gifts, your tithes, your offerings are a blessing to the ministry of this church, both inside these walls and beyond them. It is with amazing grace that God has carried this church for 64 years and brought us safe thus far, and we trust that God will continue to do so. In a moment, the ushers will come forward to receive this morning's offering.
Thank you, choir, for that beautiful music. We'll never tire of hearing that amazing grace. The scripture for today's reading is taken from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, and can be found in your pew Bible on page 740. That's on page 740, Luke 15, beginning at the verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all of these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted 
calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. And he was lost, but he's found. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It's great to be with you, albeit virtually. For a sermon today, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 15 and talk about the God who runs. I know of someone who went through a midlife crisis, but it wasn't the typical stuff like getting a sports car or taking up a new hobby like rock climbing. No, he quit his job, walked away from his stable life, stopped paying his mortgage, cashed out his retirement savings, and spent a couple of years just recklessly traveling the world. During his travels, he went through a couple of girlfriends, did a lot of drugs, spent a lot of money. And all the while, his mother was really worried about him. She would wait for the calls, the emails. She'd even send him money. Now, several people, myself included, thought that she needed to stop enabling her son's foolishness and just cut him off. Well, it all came crashing down for him. And when he came back home, he asked to move in with his mother. And we thought this was madness. You know, you should say no to him. But she said, he is my son and I love him. And I don't want to hear any more about it from you. In many ways, we were kind of like the older brother in this story that Jesus tells. We didn't get it. In our scripture passage for today, Jesus tells a parable. You see, he was beginning to attract people who were fringe folk, outsiders, outcasts. And the guardians of the social and religious order were not happy about who Jesus was inviting to the table. So, to defend his involvement with these undesirables, he tells three parables. The first two are relatively short, and they talk about how God seeks out the lost. Today's sermon is on Jesus' third parable. This is often called the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal means lost. But really, this parable is about different reactions to being lost. The younger son gets himself lost, but returns to the father. The older son is jealous and is actually lost in a different way. But the key reaction in this story is the father's. It's almost allegorical. The father in the story is God. The prodigal son is the sinner who repents. The older son depicts the religious types who think the whole thing is just unfair. So today I'd like us to look at each of the characters in this story. The lost loser. The forgiving father and the skeptical sibling. 
So first, as we turn to the lost loser, we see that he shows us about true repentance. In this parable, the younger son demands his portion. And he's not asking politely, he is demanding. Now, his cut would have been one-third of the family property. Normally, a son would only receive that when his father died. So, by asking for it while his father's still alive, he's basically saying to his father, I wish you would drop dead. And also, by demanding a third of the land and then selling it out from under him, the father couldn't even use that land for crops or livestock or any livelihood that he might have needs for. So for the son to demand his share and then sell it right away is to say to his father, in effect, you are dead to me and I am out of here. And so off he goes. His goal was to find himself, but he ends up losing himself. Things go real badly for him and it's his own doing. It's not like he just had bad luck or something. He, no, he straight up squandered it. He lives hard and he plays hard. He blows through it all, and soon it dries up. The hard times hit, a famine comes, and he needs to eat. So his survival instincts kick in. He takes this lowly job feeding pigs. Now this is a big deal because in Judaism a pig was an unclean animal. This job would be cursed, dishonorable for a Jewish man. So, he's working there in the filth, and he's still hungry, and he wants to eat the slop that the pigs are eating. He's sunken below any level of dignity, and he's become a living tragedy. This lost loser's story is a powerful picture of what sin is like for us. It's like a kite that's flying, and the kite says, Hey, this string is holding me back. If I could just get rid of this string, I would really fly up as high as I wanted to. But when the kite gets what it wants and the string breaks, it just comes crashing down. The string wasn't holding it back. It was holding him up. And when we cut the string of dependence on God in search of something more, something better, we end up crashing down. And that's where the son finds himself, hitting rock bottom in a pig pen. Well, something's got to change, he thinks. And he has this moment of revelation sitting there in a pile of pig poop. Uh, he comes to his senses. I mean, well, I mean, maybe not his sense of smell, but, but you know what I mean. He decides he can swallow his pride and go back, confess and grovel to his dad. He'll work as a servant on the estate, and he'll have to look foolish before his family, but at least his belly won't be empty. He has sinned against heaven and against his dad, and he knows that he should admit it. So the lost son comes back empty-handed, broke, and broken. He comes with a contrite heart, not expecting anything. He's not, he's not trying to earn his father's favor. He knows that his father has already forgiven him so much, but he's wasted it away. But he also knows his father is good, and he's not going to let him starve, even if he deserves to. The lost loser shows us what true repentance looks like. 
is when we come to our senses and realize that sin cuts us off from what we really need. It's when we realize that we're spiritually starving. It's to walk away from sin and humbly return to God. It's like this prodigal son. He knows God owes him nothing, and the only thing he asks for is help. Let's turn to the second character, the forgiving father, because this character shows us the very heart of God. So in our story, the son heads home. And as he's walking home, he's rehearsing his speech, hoping his dad has some jobs for him to do. And he's almost there. He, he can see the house in the distance. His hands are getting sweaty and he's shaking with nerves. But the father doesn't wait for the son to even get to the house. He doesn't wait to hear his speech and his pathetic begging. He doesn't make his boy eat crow first. There's no I told you so. He doesn't even wait for the son to show him proper respect. No, he runs. He runs to his son and embraces him. And this running is culturally shocking. In that context, normally a father would wait for a son to speak first, to show some sign of respect before responding. The son had dishonored him and his name, had abandoned the family, and he would need to pay the price to come back even as a servant. In fact, the whole village would be in on this. They would show their disgust at what he did. They would try to humiliate him if he returned. So in that context, it is astounding that the father runs. Something very undignified in that culture. At that time, respectable men didn't run. In our context, maybe this would be like a father sobbing loudly in the middle of a restaurant so the whole restaurant could hear, just sobbing. Now, uh, he throws his dignity to the wind and that father runs to his boy. His compassion is exceptional. He embraces his son, showers him with affection. Now, showing true repentance, the son still feels this need to confess in humility. I mean, he's clearly been welcomed back, but he wants to get his speech out. But before he can get through it, his father cuts him off. He says, hey, servants, bring out the best. Get the best robe, get a ring, get some sandals, kill the fattened calf and start cooking it. Fire up the barbecue. My son is back. I'm going to throw a party so the whole world can recognize it. The forgiving father gives this lost loser full restoration, full honor, full privileges. There's no grudges. There's no lowered status. There's no debt that needs to be worked off. There's just a feast. The lost son has returned. And it's in this character of the father that we see God's deep love for us. This is his activity towards sinners. This is his attitude towards sinners. And his great joy at sinners who return to him. Like the father in this story, God's not going to require us to stay home against our will. But he'll never stop wanting us to be family 
God never says, you're dead to me. But his heart breaks when we go it alone and end up almost killing ourselves. He is a longing father, one who always keeps an eye on where the path home meets the horizon. Like this father in the story, God is heartbroken that we left. And like the father in this story, God's forgiveness is total and immediate. And so here it is, the very heart of God. This is who God is. He lovingly longs for us to repent and return home. I'm sure you've probably seen a poster for a lost dog, maybe on a telephone pole or in a bulletin board or something like that. Have you ever seen a a poster for a lost dog that says, you know, here's a dog I lost. She's okay, I guess. If you find her, give this number a call if you feel like it. No. A poster for a lost dog reveals longing and loss and love. And that's just for a dog. Can you imagine what God's poster for us would say? We sinners have walked away from God. But because of his great love for us, he went all the way to the grave. So we mustn't think that God is angry at us until we repent. And then he becomes loving. No, he loves us even when we are prodigal, even when we're wasting everything, even when we're so starving we're ready to eat slop. He loves us so much that he's willing to die to make a way for us to come home. Brothers and sisters, God loves you tremendously. He loves you more than my feeble words could ever express. And you know what? It is not even an unconditional love. It's actually a contra-conditional love. Despite our selfishness and pettiness and failures and faithlessness, despite our sins, God overflows with love for us. God welcomes us. He never stops embracing us. He doesn't put us on probation. He doesn't wait to see if we're really going to prove ourselves. He is just overjoyed that we have come home. God is a forgiving father. And when we start the walk back home, he runs to us and he meets us where we are. Well, the third character in this story, the skeptical sibling, shows us about grace. Let's turn back to our parable. The older brother is unaware of what's happening. He returns from a hard day's work to find this massive celebration. A servant catches him up to speed, gives him the story, your your brother's come home. But he's not relieved or happy. He's angry. He won't even go into the party, which in that context was a major insult to the father. He wants nothing to do with his loser failure of a brother. And so his father pleads with him. Your brother's back. Come in. But he digs his heels in. He basically says, I busted my hump for you, and you've never thrown me a party, much less something like this. I I have always obeyed you. I've never dishonored you or wasted your wealth. 
But that idiot son of yours throws away a fortune and you throw him a party? The party of the year? For that older brother, the younger brother may have returned, but he certainly had not been found. But in fact, the older brother was lost too, just in a different sort of way. His tirade reveals that he doesn't really care about the father's heart any more than his brother did. He seems to think that his father owes him this type of extravagance because he's earned it. He's self-righteous, and his blood boils at the idea that his father would shower blessings and love on someone who wasn't good, who didn't put in the time, who didn't earn it. But that just shows that he's just as lost as his brother, because he had missed the heart of God. The older brother's basic complaint is about fairness. And you know what? It, it, we kind of feel like he has a point. We, it, it, we, maybe we want to say, where's the tough love in this story? Come on, where are the consequences? You're just enabling bad behavior. I mean, the, the younger son comes back, shouldn't he have a chore list? And what about the inheritance? Shouldn't he be put on some sort of repayment plan or something? This just seems unfair. And the older brother is exactly right. This is not fair. But it's not unfair either. It's grace. The older brother sees his dad as a scorekeeper, thinking in transactional terms, not as a gracious father. The father is gracious. He chooses to absorb the consequences himself so that he can welcome back his son. And that shows us the cross-shaped nature of God's forgiveness. It's not cheap. It costs God everything to be able to forgive us freely. And when he does, God changes us. Well, having heard all this from the oldest son, the father's not defensive. In fact, out of deep fatherly love, he shows patience and grace to his older son. He invites his older son into the joy of the occasion. He assures him that he loves him too. He points out that he already has access to everything. You already have the full rights of sonship if you'd ask for them. But this celebration is fitting for your younger brother because he came back from the dead and now he's home. And so there's this reversal in the story. The son who left home is now back in it. And the son who never left home is now actually sitting outside. And that's where the story ends. We're not told how the older brother responds. I'd like to have us reflect upon three ways that this parable speaks to us today. First, this lost loser brother might speak to those of us who are away from the Father, who need to repent. And so for those who have not put their faith in Jesus, this story asks them to turn back home, to return to the Father, 
He loves you and He wants you to come home. Well, second, the forgiving Father speaks to those of us who need to be reminded of God's great love. Even Christians can sometimes feel worthless, unlovable. But brothers and sisters, God loves you. He just loves you, not because of what you do. He just loves you because that's who he is. You are loved by God, and that is what matters. Third, the skeptical sibling speaks to those who subtly think that God's grace is only for those who are worthy. We can even be like this in church sometimes. Maybe we don't even realize it. We have a hard time really, really believing that in the household of God, acceptance comes before obedience. Jesus repeatedly tells us that God's love and grace come to people before they've been cleaned up. The gospel tells us that obedience to God is a response of gratitude for being accepted and forgiven. But sometimes we can subtly think the opposite. That we must do good things in order to be accepted. And we end up thinking like that older brother. God ought to bless us and help us because we work so hard to be a good person and to obey him. But when we start to operate that way, we displace Jesus and we try to become our own saviors. If you're convinced that following the rules and doing good is the reason that God loves you, then you're going to be outraged when the Father runs to meet bad people who don't follow the rules. But the gospel of Jesus is that no one deserves it, and yet everyone is loved by God. Doing good is our response to the Father's embrace, not the prerequisite. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has made it very clear to us in this passage. God loves you so much that he runs to you. Amen. Good morning.
Our congregational meeting will begin immediately after the benediction. Members, we want you to stay. Visitors, you are invited to stay. But if you want to go to the bazaar first, or if you need to leave, we understand that. And then a reminder that at the close of our congregational meeting, parents, please go immediately to uh, pick up your children. The risen Christ has brought us together, together in faith, together in hope, together in love. May we feel a sense of community as this service closes. May we now attend to the work of this day with anticipation and joy. And when we leave this place, may we go forth boldly, full of love and grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you all. You may be seated, please, members. Good morning. May I ask the members of our search committee who are here to come forward, please? We're going to have them sit up front facing the congregation so that you can uh, speak with them if you wish. Thank you all for being with us today, whether here in the sanctuary or watching online. Hello to those of you online. Much appreciated. Before we get started, I would just like to thank Chris Wilson, who is the chairperson of our transition committee and has been working with her committee tirelessly to make this day possible. I also want to thank Vice Moderator David Baker, who assured us, and boy was he right, that he would have this Feed done and done beautifully, so thanks to both of those people and to the committee. I'm your moderator, Susan K. Jones, and I'm here to call this congregational meeting to order. I have to say, what a pleasure to see so many people here today, and I know there are many online as well. Thank you so much for coming out for this very important day and also this fun day with the bazaar. We have one agenda item today, and that is the vote on calling Dr. Sean Bowalski as our senior pastor. Those here in the sanctuary will vote on the ballots that appear in your bulletins. If you are here and did not get a bulletin or a ballot, I'm sure the ushers in the back can help you with that. If you are online, the ballot will appear on the face of the website, mayflowerchurch.org. You all should have received a package of information about Pastor Sean by mail this week, and quite a bit of information is in today's bulletin as well, and it also appeared on the Mayflower website. We've just heard Pastor Sean preach, which has given us a great introduction to his theology and style. Now, before our discussion begins, let me introduce seven, six members. Let's see, how many do we have? Five members, <laughs> plus Amy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> six members of our search committee. They are very dedicated folks. They've done an incredible service to our congregation through their deep research and prayerful discussion over many months to bring us this fine candidate. Search committee members, would you please raise your hand as your name is called? Amy Conway, chair, and you'll be hearing from her in a couple minutes. Linda Edgar. Rachel Haddad. Phil Idema. Andy Scott and Lisa Weaver. 
We will now hear from search committee chair Amy Conway. Me again. <laughs> when we started this journey, including all of you, I'm sure, we had no idea how long or difficult it would be. Everyone on our committee has been amazing. Our group is a true subset of our church, which is to be admired. Each person brought invaluable input, and we're grateful for that diversity. Three of our members couldn't be here today. Jessica Rupert, Steve Waltman, and Martin Grin couldn't attend, but they are very much a part of the process. I'm not a born leader. It's never been my gift. Ask me to follow, and I'm all in. But as I stepped into this leadership role, the committee could not have been supported enough to me, and I am forever grateful to them and wanted to publicly thank them. Our committee took this responsibility seriously. From the beginning, we spent considerable time determining with the congregational survey in mind, the specific traits Mayflower wanted the next senior pastor to embody. Our work was careful and deliberate. We spent hours researching candidates, listening to sermons, meeting together, and even more hours of Zoom calls and interviews. Through it all, we continued to have faith in God's plan. During our search, we received guidance and help from our search contact, Brian, at Vanderblumen, and we are grateful we had him on our team. Our group never could have had the grace to take the time we needed to find our person without Pastors Ruth, Steve, and Jonathan, and our entire Mayflower staff. They have gone above and beyond, keeping us afloat and continuing to come up with new ideas and bringing us all together during this difficult transition. Susan Jones and our council members have been very supportive, and for that, we are thankful. Change has always been hard for me. Just ask my family. But after 15 years, I think Mayflower needed some change. Even though we didn't really ask for it, when it happened, I think we are now embracing it. When our committee first met Pastor Sean, we were taken with his personable nature and intelligence. From the first Zoom, we were energized by his love of God and his ability to share this with others. He has a relational quality, which we embrace, and his background is, and experience are broad. We feel he fed the teacher-preacher gift that so many of our congregation desired. Our committee considers all of you as our church family. We had you and Mayflower in mind every step of the way. We appreciate your prayers, your patience, your acceptance of these unusual circumstances, and trust in us and our process. We feel Pastor Sean will be worth the wait. We are extremely excited for what the future holds for Mayflower, and we would be thrilled for Pastor Sean, Sarah, and his two girls to join our church community, share in our faith journey, and lead Mayflower on its new course ahead. On behalf of our committee, I would like to make a motion to call Reverend Dr. Sean Bowalski as Mayflower's next senior pastor. I hear a second from Harold Montgomery. Thank you so much. At this time, the floor is open for your questions and comments, and our search committee members will answer. If you have a question or comment, please stand. I see none. Oh, yes, sir. Please. 
Yes, we do. Do I? He grew up in the Chicago area, so he's a Cubs fan. So that's a big thing. <laughs> and he also is a board game player. He's big into Settlers of Catan, if anyone knows that. And he's anxious. One of the things he said to us is that he's really anxious, and his goal would be to meet and fellowship with everyone in our congregation, personally, kind of in a friendly manner. So he's very personal. I would just add he loves the Simpsons. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Anything else? Yes, ma'am. So Ellen had emailed me and asked about his short terms at a lot of the previous experience he had. And one of the things that kind of pushed us to understand that and to talk to him about that was his references were amazing at every place he was. And he also has traveled a lot internationally, which isn't always something you necessarily stay at long term. And then he's also, his children are middle school age, and he's from the get-go, has said to us that he really wanted to plant his feet somewhere and stay somewhere for the long term. So just that longevity discussion we had with him was positive for us. Anything else, please? All right. Seeing no more questions or comments. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Yes, Thank you, Susan. (laughs) I'm just going to jump in and add one more thing. Um, One of the other pieces about Sean's short-term tenures at other places, in part, was the fact that he pursued his doctoral studies overseas. And so that was one of those transition pieces in his resume, which we think really adds to what he brings with his doctoral credentials, but also precipitated a move from the U.S. and then after... Um, his tenure in Scotland, where he was studying, you know, another sort of transition there. So the nature of his long educational path is part of those smaller stints. Thank you. Anne-Marie? Yes. Ooh, Anne Marie, you're giving me chills up here. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Anything else? Yes, ma'am.
So we fully, um, as a congregation, appreciate and are open and affirming and inclusive. And that was very much a part of our process as we were discerning pastoral qualifications. It was one of the things that we talked about with our search room way back at the beginning of our tenure with them, which I think dates back to fall 2020. So, in fact, that was part of the vetting process from the get-go and really was something that we explored with different candidates as they came along and turned candidates away who did not fully embrace an inclusive mentality for the church. Anything else? Going? Oh, okay, Linda. Yeah, that's a really good question, something that, you know, was near and dear to this committee's heart, and we spent a lot of time talking specifically around that with Sean and other candidates. So, yeah, absolutely um, feel confident that he's understanding of the congregational way um, and accepting of that. So that's a great question. Thank you. All right, going, going. Gone. Okay. So for those of you here in the sanctuary, your ballot is in your bulletin. Please sign it now. The ushers will come through and collect those. For those of you online, my watch says it's 1126. Please vote now online, mayflowerchurch.org. It's at the top of the website, and that ballot will close at 1130. We will count these ballots quickly. You are welcome to stay here or to browse in the uh, bazaar, and we'll let you know when the count is done. And please do go to the bazaar, enjoy the bazaar at whatever point before you leave. Thank you. Oh, one other thing, let me say there will be several meet and greets via Zoom this week with Pastor Sean. They are listed as being four different groups, but that's just the beginning. You are welcome at any of those meetings, and they will originate here at church, but they will be by Zoom. Oh, yes. I should also say Amy's reminding me that Pastor Sean will be live Zooming here after the vote is confirmed. If anyone would like to hear a few words from him, he will not be able to see us, but we'll be able to see him, and this will be live. So he just has some remarks prepared to share. Not a command performance, but if you would like to see that, please come toward the front. Thank you.
All right, we have the answer here. We're going to ask the bazaar people if they want to come back, and we'll wait just a minute. Pardon me? Go bring them back, yeah. If they want to. <laughs> All right, we, I will wait and see who all comes back. We'll give them a couple minutes, and then I will announce the results. And then those of you going back to the bazaar can tell everybody, okay? of you still here I don't see very many people coming back I'm glad the bazaar is so popular we had an overwhelming majority of yes so Sean Bowalski is the new senior pastor of Mayflower Congregational Church phone or on the laptop, just turn on the video, because I can't see anything the way I can hear you. 
shouting into the void. Yep, I'm still here. Yeah. There it is, right there. Here we are. Oh gosh. We're gonna flip it around. Oh yeah, you're muted too. Oh, is it going through? Can he can't hear because it's muted on. But it's muted still on it. Can you? The, the phone is on mute. you got to unmute your phone. For no, the phone is good. Oh, oh there it is. Now it is. There, there we go. Now I can hear you. Hello, everybody. I take it I'm a big head up on the screen there. Yes, uh, like, like, like the Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's lovely to see you all. I wish I could have been there in person today, but uh, this big screen on the head, or big hat on the screen will have to do for now. But it is uh, an honor to be called to Mayflower as your uh, senior pastor. It's been um, an important process for us to get to this point with my family, with the search committee. And as I've been reflecting on it, particularly in the last couple days, uh, it's been clear to see the hand of the Lord uh, leading us throughout this whole process. And we're just so excited. Um, I'm excited about serving this church, about uh, walking with you all into the next season, into the life of this church. I'm really grateful for the long history of faithfulness of Mayflower. I'm looking forward to uh, seeking the Lord's will, following Jesus together, and for me and my family to join the Mayflower community. So again, thank you. And um, looking really, really looking forward to being there in person before too long. Sean, just uh, wanted to say, sleep well tonight, knowing that your future is assured. <laughs> and we love you, and we can't wait till you and your family get here. God bless you. Bye-bye.